I invite you to take your Bibles, if you will, and turn with me to the Gospel according to Mark. Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. We'll begin at verse 35. Mark chapter 10, beginning at verse 35. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came forward to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask you. And he said to them, What is it that you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit, one at your right hand, the other at your left, in your glory. But Jesus said to them, You do not know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink? Or be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? They replied, we are able. Then Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. When the ten heard this, they began to be angry with James and John. So Jesus called them. And said to them, You know that among the Gentiles, those whom they recognize as their rulers, lord it over them, and their great ones are tyrants over them. But it is not so among you. But whoever wishes to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you must be slave of all. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and gave his life as a ransom for many. Will you pray with me? God, we give you thanks for your holy word and for this privilege now of studying it together. And as I now stand before these, your people, this is your church. I pray that this would be your message and not my own through the name of Jesus the Christ. Amen. Jesus' reaction and mine is so different. I mean, had the disciples come up to me with that kind of question, I would have probably looked at them and went, are you kidding me? Are you serious? I mean, I wonder what Jesus was thinking. I wonder if Jesus had to pause for a minute and count to ten. One, two, three, just to kind of get settled. I mean, did he have to take a, a deep breath? I mean, what a request. And what really makes the request interesting, and what would have led to my reaction, and I'm amazed at Jesus' grace and his reaction, is what was happening immediately preceding the question. I want us to look at that scripture and back up just a couple of verses to Mark chapter 10, verse 32. They were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them. They were amazed, and those who followed were afraid. He took the twelve aside again and began to tell them what was to happen to him, saying, See, we're going up to Jerusalem and the Son of Man will be handed over to the chief priests and the scribes. 
and they will condemn him to death. They'll hand him over to the Gentiles. They will mock him and spit upon him and flog him and kill him. And after three days, he'll rise again. So picture that. The timing was that Jesus and the disciples are walking and Jesus now shares with the disciples for the third time what's about to happen. As a matter of fact, we're told that those who were following Jesus were amazed. Can't believe he's really going into Jerusalem. You know, they're going to probably kill him when he gets to Jerusalem. They're amazed and they're afraid. And you would think when they heard this, they would be overwhelmed. I mean, Jesus just said, they're going to condemn me to death. They're going to hand me over. They're going to mock me. They're going to spit upon me. They're going to flog me. They'll kill me. But after three days, I'll rise again. I mean, I would think that the question that they're going through is, is, what does this mean? I, I thought he was the Messiah. If he's the Messiah, he can't be killed. I mean, I, I thought the Messiah would set up the kingdom there in Israel. I'm, what is he talking about? This isn't making sense. And when they come up to Jesus and they ask the question in verse 35, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. I would have hoped that the question might have been, or the request might have been, we want you to turn around. I mean, remember the time when Jesus had shared what was about to happen and, and, and Peter just kind of steps up and goes, no, that can never happen. And, and Jesus says, get behind me. You would have you thought that this would have been the time that they would be going, please don't go to Jerusalem. Jesus, we love you too much to let something like this happen to you. Come on, can, is there not another way? Can we not do something different? We want you to do whatever you ask of us, okay? What, what is it that you want? Well, when you come into your glory, can one of us sit on the right-hand side and one on the other? I mean, are you kidding me? James and John, they're fishermen. Some of Jesus' very first disciples, actually, following Peter and Andrew... We, we meet them in Mark chapter 1, verse 19, when we're told that as he, meaning Jesus, went a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John, who were in the boat mending their nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men, and they followed him. And they become really strong disciples. We have to be careful. Sometimes we... We read one negative and it wipes out all the positives about someone. We have to be careful about that because they're strong disciples. They're actually part of the inner circle with Jesus. We see time and time again when Jesus would call aside Peter, James, and John. So they have a human moment. They have a moment of weakness. They have a moment of confusion. But it shouldn't be their defining moment. I mean, they experienced some amazing things with Jesus. For example, if you look at Mark chapter 5, you have the story of the raising of Jairus' daughter. And when Jesus arrives at the home, we're told in verse 37, he allowed no one to follow him except for Peter, James, and John. 
the brother of James. Even the transfiguration, what a holy moment when Jesus goes up onto the mountain and, and he is transfigured. He, he becomes glowing white as it can be. And, and, and there they're in the presence of Moses and Elijah, hearing the voice of God. And we're told that six days later, as they were getting ready to go up on the mountain, Jesus took with them Peter and James and John. He led them apart by themselves. They're part of the inner circle. They, they've experienced amazing things with Jesus. And soon, when Jesus does arrive in Jerusalem, Jesus will invite them to join him in the Garden of Gethsemane in Mark chapter 14, verse 33, where we're told again, he took with him Peter, James, and John, and began to be distressed and agitated and throws himself down and prays. Can we sit at the right hand and the left hand side? How long? How long before you really understand what this whole kingdom thing is about? The right hand side was always seen as the side, the side of honor and the place of honor. You see it back in Psalm 110 verse 1 where the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The right hand of the Father, that's where Jesus ends up sitting as well. It's the sacred place to be. But Jesus looks at him and said, you really, you really don't know what you're asking. And Jesus says to them in verse 38, Are you able to drink the cup that I drink? Or to be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with? They think they understand what that means, but not yet. And Jesus had explained it now the third time what this means. They clearly do not fully understand it. And they boldly go, we are able. And Jesus said, well, you, you will drink the cup that I'm about to drink. You're going to be baptized with the baptism I'm about to be baptized with. Status, that's not for you to choose. That's a God thing. And then Jesus says, verse 43, Whoever wishes to become great among you must be your servant. See, Jesus constantly turns the standards of the world upside down. And whoever wishes to be first among you must be slave of all. And then catch what Jesus says, for the Son of Man himself. Jesus said, I myself, the Son of Man, came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That Greek word serve is diakonio. It's where we get the word deacon that we use in the life of the church. It means to serve or to minister. I mean, diakonio, it's other-centered. It's not about being served. It's about serving others. We see the example when Jesus will even take off his outer garment in the upper room and, and kneel down and wash the disciples' feet to serve. And Jesus said, I, I give myself as a ransom. That, that Greek word is lutron, and it means to loosen. It's it was the word that was used when you were able to set someone free from slavery or debtor slavery or to redeem 
uh, someone who might have been a prisoner from war. It was to set someone free, to give release to the captives, as the Scripture says. Jesus said, I didn't come to make it all about, look at me, look at you, but to serve and to set you free, to be a ransom. It's a word like we might would use today for kidnapping when someone is being held hostage and, and we're being released. And Jesus came to set us free from the kidnapping of our sin and our brokenness and how evil has captured us. And, and God has chosen to come himself and live among us and set us free. I mean, Jesus is the epitome of humility, one who's willing to humble himself to make a difference for others. I mean, just earlier, Jesus had dealt with this. If you look back again, just the, the previous chapter in Mark chapter 9, verse 33. Then they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, What are you arguing about on the way? Because the disciples clearly had been murmuring and talking among themselves, and Jesus was paying attention, and Verse 34 said, they were silent, for on the way they had argued with one another on who was the greatest. I mean, can't you just hear that? Well, you know, I'm really the number one disciple. I mean, clearly, I mean, I was one of the first ones Jesus called. And after all, Jesus said this about me. And remember the time I did that. And you can just kind of imagine you are not. I am. Because remember the time when, and they're arguing back and forth. And verse 35, he sat down, called the twelve, and said to them, Whoever wants to be first must be last of all and servant of all. Then he took a little child, put it among them, and taking it in his arms, he said to them, Whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me welcomes not me, but the one who sent me. If you read the scripture, Jesus is constantly talking about Humility. It's one of the hard things in our culture because our culture today tends to want to make everything about us and who we should be and fulfilling us and bringing out what's inside of us. And to be other-centered, to love God and to love our neighbor and love our neighbor to the point that we're willing to humble ourselves, to love God enough that we would humble ourselves and love the people God loves it is countercultural. It's hard for us. No wonder Jesus spent so much time talking about it. Luke chapter 4, for example, beginning at verse 7, Jesus tells the story, when you go to a banquet, don't go sit down at the place of honor because in biblical times when you sat at the table, where you sat said something about you being closest to the host. Those were the seats of honor. And, and Jesus said, don't, don't go up and take the best seat because then you could be embarrassed when the host comes in and goes, what are, I'm sorry, I, I need you to slide down so that someone else can sit here. That would be embarrassing. Jesus said, no, go take the least seat. Humble yourself and take the least seat. And then when the host comes in, they may just go, what are you doing there? Please move up. And even if it's just one seat, you're actually being honored. Jesus then makes it very clear in Luke 14, 11, for those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. 
He, he tells a similar story with the Pharisee and the tax collector. You see that in Luke chapter 18, beginning at verse 9. Two people go into the temple to pray. One's the Pharisee, the religious leader who was committed to dot the I's and cross the T's. And, and he comes in and he's going, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people are. You know, he even looks over and goes, and especially, God, I thank you I'm not like this guy. We're told that the tax collector wouldn't even look up toward heaven, but instead just beat on his chest and said, God, be merciful to me. I'm a sinner. And Jesus said, I'll tell you, he's the one that went home justified rather than the other. And catch what Jesus says yet again and how precise again it is when Jesus says, for all who exalt themselves will be humbled, all who humble themselves will be exalted. In Matthew 23, Jesus warns them, says, now just be careful because there are so many people and some of even the scribes and the Pharisees, they, they love to put burdens on other people that they can't follow for themselves. And they love to be seen in the marketplace. They love to, to just shine out. They love for people to call them by their titles and, and, and for everybody just to kind of recognize who they are. And, and once again, Jesus says, the greatest among you will be your servant. And listen to the wording yet again. All who exalt themselves will be humbled and all who humble themselves will be exalted. Jesus says that time and time again. Dr. N.T. Wright, one of my favorite biblical scholars, as you know, is a professor at Oxford University. He was an Anglican priest who becomes an Anglican bishop, and he taught at St. Andrews uh, in Scotland for the longest time and now is back at Oxford where he was trained. But, but he says the reason that James and John misunderstand Jesus is exactly the same reason why many subsequent thinkers, meaning us, down to our own day, are desperate to find a way of having Jesus without having the cross as well. The cross, he said, calls into question all human pride and glory. Now, I will tell you, I, I think humility is probably one of my greatest attributes. As a matter of fact, I am so proud of my humility. Uh, to be honest with you, I've never met anyone in my life that's more humble than I am. Now, clearly, I hope that's tongue-in-cheek, and those of you might post something on social media, make sure you do this disclaimer as well. I'm obviously being facetious there. Sometimes, though, it's, it's hard for us to be humble. When we're taught to be the best, we're constantly told we are the best, that we deserve the best, and that it's all about us. I remember one time in a church I was serving, I was having a conversation with an associate pastor who just seemed to idealize the role of senior pastor and also had the young impression that, you know, they could do it better than any of us that were currently serving in those roles. And they saw the visibility. I mean, just the, the ability to be seen as the senior pastor of the church. They thought that just seemed so cool and so great and, and, and just the perceived authority. And I say perceived because we were perceived to have more than we really do. And I remember having the conversation because we were in my office and I got up from my chair and I moved over. I said, you can have that chair anytime you want it. 
You can have this role any time that you want it. But remember this. You don't only get the chair. You get all the work and all the responsibility that's on the desk in front of it. And after thinking about it for a while, it just didn't seem to be quite so appealing. Patrick Lencioni is one of my favorite authors, has several books on leadership, and one of the books is The Five Temptations of a CEO. And the very first temptation that he said that people in leadership, people in authority have to deal with is the temptation of status over results. Ego over results. That sometimes if we're not careful, we make it more about us than about the mission. James and John were struggling with that. Jesus had just shared the mission. Jesus had just shared what was about to happen to him. And they come up going, hey, can one of us sit on the right and the other of us sit on the left? I mean, they're just picturing the trumpets blowing and, and, and the parades occurring. And here is Jesus flanked by us. Jesus said, I really just don't think you know what you're asking, because to get to the exalted status, that takes some real humility and even suffering. I mean, think about this. The status of the exalted Christ was preceded by a cross, a flogging, spitting upon death. Jesus had warned it. Paul reminds us of that in Philippians. In Philippians 2, we, we love to start at verse 5, which is, have the same mind in you that was in Christ. Back up a couple of verses and catch the context. Philippians 2, verse 3, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility regard others as better than yourselves. And let each of you not look to your own interest but to the interest of others. Then he says, let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. That's the context. Who though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness and being found in human form, he humbled himself. That's the example and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Can we sit at your right and your left? Isn't it interesting to see who ends up being on Jesus' right and left? You just turn on over a couple more chapters to Mark chapter 15, verse 27, 25 rather, and you hear these words. It was nine o'clock in the morning when they crucified him. The inscription of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. And with him they crucified two bandits, one on his right, one on his left. Interesting to see 
that before someone's exalted, there's a cross. Well, hear the rest of the story. We learn in Acts chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, that James, one of the very ones who said, can we set one of us on your right and one on the left? And Jesus said, you don't know what you're asking. Can you really drink the cup that I've got to drink from? Can you be baptized with the baptism I'm going to be baptized with? And then he goes, actually, you will drink from that cup and you will experience that baptism. And King Herod has James killed with the sword for his faith. He becomes the first of the 12 disciples who are martyred. It's so easy for us to ignore what Jesus is teaching to think about us. He just said, I'm heading to Jerusalem where I'm going to be turned over. I'm going to be flogged. I'm going to be spat upon. I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to be killed. But then I'll rise again. Hey, can you do something for us when you come into your glory? Can one of us sit on the right, one of us on the left? We have to be careful that our agenda does not take precedence over Jesus' calling. Are you really able to drink this? They said, we are able. And eventually, they do. Will you pray with me? God, we give you thanks for who you are as our God. And God, we pray that we will hear who you're calling us to be. And that we will resist the temptation that you bring up time and time and time again. And that is to turn the focus from you and what you are doing to us and our own arrogance or narcissism or whatever it might be that we're dealing with inside. You remind us time and again, those who exalt themselves will be humbled. Those who humble themselves will be exalted. And then you remind us, have the example of Christ. It's countercultural, but help us, we pray, to be your disciples for your glory and your honor. In the name of Jesus the Christ, amen.